there was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee time. Jeremy Pruitt with another national championship time. Kevin Shearer did not get a national championship time. I wonder if that plane ride back to Knoxville was a little bit awkward time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Goval's 24-7 podcast. Got most of the crew in here today. Patrick Brown, Ryan Callahan. Danny Parker, everybody except for Grant Ramey, who I think is, is prob- probably he's sleeping. I hope he is. We had a long night. We're recording this at about four thirty Eastern on Wednesday, and Ramey and I got back into town about four a.m. from Nashville <laughs> last night. That that nine p.m. Eastern Tuesday tip off Tennessee and Vanderbilt, Tennessee with a ninety two eighty four win, and we'll have plenty more on that and a preview of this weekend's game against Texas A and M. Uh, in the Friday podcast. I know we normally do hoops during the week and then football on Friday, but Jeremy Pruitt spoke to the media on Wednesday, so we're going to switch it up this week, guys. We're going to talk a little bit of, uh, of Tennessee football. It, it was been a really fascinating couple of days for Jeremy Pruitt. You, you talk about being the defensive coordinator at Alabama and in just an epic game. I mean, just a, a national championship game I don't think anybody will ever forget. And it was then, a pretty good one. I'd, yeah, I'd watch it again. It was a hell of a game. And then just a couple hours later, he and Georgia's linebackers coach are getting on a plane together to go coach at Tennessee. So uh, really fascinating one. Jeremy Pruitt's now coached in five of the past seven national championship games. Has won four national titles in eight years as an assistant coach. You can't you can't knock the hustle. You can't knock the track record. He's won he's won natties at two different schools and. And a fifth is the personnel guy. Yeah, yeah, he's got a, he's, so he's got like a like a full handful of rings now. Yeah, his yep. safety deposit box to bank is heavy. That's got to be. Whew. There's a that was a just. I know people don't want to hear much more about that game because it was Alabama and Georgia playing for the national championship. But man, what a what a fun game that was. And and it was literally like the apocalypse for Tennessee fans. Like, you couldn't imagine. I mean, the only thing that might have been worse would have been Florida and Alabama playing for the national title. And only only some people would have said that was worse. Yeah, I think what's good for Tennessee, and I've, I've talked to some Tennessee fans about this, and I think this is a – I don't want to say a consensus view, but but definitely the majority view, is that Tennessee wanted Alabama to win that yeah, game because so. Alabama has been winning national championships. Alabama winning national championships is nothing new. Nothing it's nothing new. that Tennessee hasn't had to deal with in the past. But if you're a Tennessee fan and, and Alabama's the best program in college football for the past decade by a country mile, and then Georgia's winning a national championship too, and uh, that, you got to recruit against them, that, that that's 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 a tough deal. That's a tough deal for uh, for Tennessee. And, and while I was kind of torn on, I never really care who wins games, but I've always been really impressed with Nick Chubb as a person, and I was kind of hoping that that he would get a championship on his way out the door. But, you know, it's like Pruitt said it really well uh, during the press conference on Wednesday. He said, guys, someone's got to win the game uh, and someone's got to lose it. And right now all of their attention is focused on Tennessee and getting Tennessee back to where Tennessee's used to being. So what what were our impressions of of that press conference that Pruitt had just about oh, a couple hours ago? Uh, re- really interesting in a, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, kind of, kind of business as usual in some ways, but yeah, that the fact that we're now, um, less than 48 hours from the, the start of the contact period in Tennessee still is looking to, to fill its final vacancy on the staff is, is definitely interesting. We'll, we'll see how quickly they're able to hire a wide receivers coach or whatever direction they go with that spot. It looks like their preference would be to hire a receivers coach and have Brian Niedermeyer coach tight ends. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see if that, if that is the way they end up going. Uh, they, they could have some other options there depending on uh, who, who they're able to get. So that that's interesting. Uh, you know, recruiting obviously is kind of the, at the forefront of his focus right now, but Gotta be. Ha, ha, has to be, but he also has had to deal with some, some team stuff and some players left before he ever really got the chance to, talk them out of entering the NFL draft early, uh, or at least having an in-depth conversation about that. So uh, a lot to cover, but 
yeah, a, an interesting press conference and, uh, and still, still like the tone that, that Jeremy Pruitt continues to, to strike and, and all of his media availability so far, I think people are, are going to like him and he's a, he's a straight shooter without giving away too much. Like he, he, he's, he's done a good job so far for a guy being a first time head coach, I think. And I think that the fact that, that he's sort of a, he's got those everyman qualities that you really kind of like. And, you know, we've always talked about this a lot that you usually, if you have to fire a coach or, or get rid of a coach for, for a reason, uh, because they weren't successful enough, you're always going to go with someone who's the opposite of, of that guy because the way that it had been going um, was not what you wanted. Now, it's like, so, when you, like when you break yeah, up with someone, you're yeah. going the opposite direction with your next girlfriend or whatever. Now, if a coach leaves to go to a bigger program and you want to hire someone who was a lot like him or from his staff to keep him there, that makes all the sense in the world. But you, you know, Tennessee was going in a different direction because the, one of the many reasons was the personality of the head coach. Uh, and after so many... You know, it's like that scene in Shawshank uh, Redemption when he gets through, uh, when he breaks out of the prison and like the rain's falling down and he's got like his hands extended in the air. And it's like that great one of those most epic movie shots of all time. That is sort of what I feel like every time that there's a Jeremy Pruitt press conference. Um, And now with him and and Barnes both, uh, it's just it's just fun. You know, It, it just feels like you're talking to a human being, which I think all of us can appreciate that it's, this is a guy who's, you know, he's got that Southern accent. He, he'll shoot you straight or he won't tell you anything and he'll tell you he's not telling you something. And, and that's, are, I like that. Are you saying the Butch Jones era was 300 yards of fecal matter in a small pipe? <laughs> <laughs> that is what it felt like at times. Okay. Just want to clarify that. That's that. That's what it, just you know, go ahead and start the music. Danny just won the podcast. Yeah, you know the way that you know the way that that a lot of Tennessee fans started feeling by like the early part of Jones' fifth year. That was me, like early in the second year, and I sort of kept that quiet a little bit. Probably didn't keep it as quiet as I thought I did <laughs> at times. But it just—I was just so ready to hear something else. I mean, having to hear that a couple times a week was just just miserable but so now a, it's now it's fun so that's surprising because i thought you made a few thousand dollars off the butch gets it t-shirts you were selling yes yeah, so yeah butch just butch but, just gets it man that was after the butch please t-shirts um I, I this is what i've told people though in the weeks since uh since jeremy pruitt's introductory press conference i don't know how the jeremy pruitt era is going to turn out i, I don't even pretend to have a, re- a reasonable guess it's tennessee it's a it's it's a tougher job than it was 10 years ago. They've got to build back and get back to a level they haven't been at but in a But not while. an impossible job. No, definitely not an impossible job. But this feels like the first time, I think in a lot of ways since Philip Fulmer was here, that Tennessee really has a football coach. And that's not necessarily a knock on Lane Kiffin, who I think is a really good offensive coordinator really and, does good some, and does some things well as a football coach. And it's not really a knock even on Derek Dooley, who I think knows much more about football than people realize and, I, and has a chance to do an okay job as an offensive coordinator at Missouri. Still a weird hire, but I think could do an okay job there. But I think this is the first time since probably Philip Fulmer that I think you can look at Tennessee's head coach and say, that guy has the total package as a head coach. There's no reason he can't succeed. There's nothing that he doesn't have in his toolbox, so to speak, that you're really missing aside from the experience. And I, I think that's the first time in a while you can really say that about Tennessee's coach. And I think the staff he's been able to put together to this point shows you pretty clearly, one, that Tennessee was willing to make the financial commitment to make a lot of this happen, and two, that those are good football coaches and they wanted to come work for him. That's that's how much – that's how strongly they feel about him, even though he's never been a head coach before. You know, he just – it kind of feels like Pruitt's been laying the groundwork for a, for a big move like this for years now, and he knew when he got the opportunity the kinds of guys that, could, that that would come with him. And that shows you the relationships that he's built and the people that respect him. And you know what? It's probably going to be the same way with a lot of high school football coaches and recruiting. I think he's going to know people, he's going to have connections, and he's going to make Tennessee an attractive option for people who had not considered Tennessee before. Uh, for for people who who are really really elite players and, and I think that that you're already seeing that a little bit with some of the guys he's been able to bring in but you know I I think it's it's just nice that 
you know, the past 24, 48 hours, I don't know if they could have gone much better for Pruitt. He, he got to finish things the right way at Alabama, and he got to do a lot of good things there and, and end that thing the right way and say his goodbyes. And then he got to come on a plane and be Tennessee's football coach. And neither – like both fan bases are appreciative of what he's given them. And when you look at when he was hired, how much he was having to walk a tightrope between, you know, re- coaching at Alabama, finishing the drill there, and recruiting for Tennessee, and how he did not rub – you know, you would have thought he would have rubbed people the wrong way no matter what. He would have said, oh, well, he, he wasn't focused enough on this or that or – you know, if, if Bama had a bad game defensively, they'd be upset at him for that. Or if Tennessee hadn't gotten any recruits, they'd have said, what are you doing? It just seems like he was able to walk that tightrope pretty well and make both sides appreciative of his effort. And that, that wasn't an easy thing to do. The good thing is that Alabama went through all that with Kirby Smart. You know, you're moving on to a head coaching job. You've got recruiting to do. You're in the SEC. A lot at stake. At the same time, we need you here as a defensive coordinator. So all that, here's your room. If you need to call guys, if you need to look at film, you can get all that done while you're here in Tuscaloosa helping us prepare for a college football playoff game. So I think that the precedents had been set. So what Kirby went through, I think, helped Jeremy a little bit. At the same time, and you talk about all these guys wanting to come work with Jeremy, leaving some pretty special jobs and some special places with a chance to move up. Uh, to come to Tennessee to work with him, I think that goes – I think that it kind of speaks volumes to what they think he can do as Tennessee's head coach. Yeah. And it, it speaks volumes to what they think of him as a man, and there's a considerable amount of trust, not only in that situation there, but also with Nick Saban, with Jeremy Pruitt around. It's, you know, he's, he's not in there, you know, looking at the recruiting board, writing down a bunch of names that popped up in the last two weeks and, you know, trying to, you know, do anything shady. You know, Coach Saban totally trusted him, and it – it paid off. They get another national championship, and now he's off to, you know, to, to Knoxville. Well, and I think it's important to mention too. I, I think a lot of fans might have had this impression that Pruitt was just away from Tennessee and focusing on Alabama entirely for two or three weeks, and that wasn't the case. As he pointed out during his press conference, he was still recruiting during the times that Alabama staff would go to recruit. He would just go somewhere else and work on Tennessee recruiting and or or setting up interviews for for assistant coach positions or whatever he needed to do at that particular time. He hired Charles Kelly as safeties coach and, and special teams coordinator while he was at Alabama. Uh, he was able to obviously hand out a, a bunch of new offers uh, in recruiting, which, as he pointed out, he wanted to sign off on all those offers so they wouldn't have offered those guys if he hadn't looked at those players' film and, and said, okay. So he was still doing plenty for Tennessee while he was at Alabama. So give Jeremy Pruitt a lot of credit for I think handling that transition as well as could be expected and still managing to get a lot of things done for Tennessee yeah and, and I think it, it was it, it worked out well because you know it was such a tough situation to be in and he said it himself that his mind has sort of been in Knoxville and, and I think that might be the one comment he made during the press conference that Alabama fans will be like hey what was you know come on man but the way that defense performed in that game, uh, just completely shutting down Nick Chubb and, and and making a lot of big plays in the second half to kind of good adjustments. Yeah, they, it, it, Georgia had forty-one yards and two first downs in the in the fourth quarter. And, and there's a lot. Of, I mean, there's at least there might be three or four NFL running backs on that in that Georgia backfield, and, and a really good freshman quarterback and, and a big wide receiver who can make a lot of big plays and. A couple of really talented tight ends who didn't really do much, but are, are really good players, and um, I, I think it it worked out about as well as it could have worked out for Pruitt. You know, if you if you were writing the chapter of his time at Tennessee, uh, writing writing a book, the first chapter w- would be a pretty good one to this point. Uh, I think he's he, he's come in and he said the right things. Um, I don't know what the reaction was to his conversation with the team on Tuesday. I, I don't know. Uh, we'll look more into that and see if that went well or didn't. It usually goes pretty well. A coach says, these are the expectations. You know, this is what we want out of you. Now let's all be in this together and let's all get in the huddle and say VFL and then move on. Like that's they're usually it's usually a pretty productive, pretty good meeting. So I don't I don't think there's any problem there necessarily. But one thing that is interesting, and there were there were a lot of things from that press conference that we need to talk about. Uh, I don't know that there's anything we need to talk about more than uh, Jawan Jennings, the dog. He might be back. He's certainly at least back in play as a as a possibility 
uh, for Tennessee. We can say that now. Tennessee's uh, one of Tennessee's best players, a guy who uh, was dismissed from the program after a, a rather memorable <laughs> outburst about the former coaching staff that, hey, it, it might have been a little bit uncalled for, but, but it wasn't necessarily wrong uh, in some ways. And, and I think that he has had conversations with Jeremy Pruitt. He has had conversations with Philip Fulmer. And we don't know um, if this is going to come to anything, but I think we can all agree that it's it it's at least a possibility now and it's a positive thing for the program. Well, wouldn't you think the momentum's building into, yes, he will go back Seems and like join it. the roster? Otherwise, why would you sit down with him? Uh, that's my, my logic that I just applied to it. But um, and I, like we said uh, on Facebook Live earlier in the week, I – I think he'd, he'd. I think if he is back on the roster, I think he will be. I, I I think he does have a couple strikes against him. I don't think you can wipe the slate clean entirely. Sure. You know, even though uh, you know John Curry's gone, you know Brady Hoke's gone, and you know all that sort of thing. He still made some bad decisions at Tennessee, and not just the rant that he put, posted on Instagram. He's he's done a couple other things that, sure. that led up to that. It wasn't just the rant like some people make it out to be. Yeah, there was a reason he was sitting in the stands for that first game after Butch Jones <laughs> left. But uh, from Juwan jo- Jennings' perspective, this could be monumental for him. This could be a complete resurrection of this young man's entire rest of his life. Uh, you, you hear Bobby Belden talk about, you know, if I kick a kid off the team, what am I doing for that kid? I think that a lot of people roll their eyes like, ah, oh, you just want to win football games. You want a talented kid on the field. But but Jawan Jennings, you know, he, he's not Todd Kelly Jr. He's not a biomechanical major. He's not going to go make six figures in three years. Uh, I think he's a guy that needs football. You saw when he had the injury, you know, what he put into academics, which was next to nothing. I think he needs football. He needs that platform. I think he needs to grow up a little bit more. And I think being around another coaching staff, maybe thrust into a kind of a de facto leadership role may help him, you know, and who knows, maybe goes out and catches 60 balls next year and gets a chance in the NFL and he's around veteran people and adults in a professional environment and has that much more time to grow up that much more before he's in the real world, so to speak, after sports. Yeah. Well, and let's, let's think about this too. I think, I don't think you make a decision like this based on this, but if you're worried about the way a move is perceived, it was an unpopular move at the time for Jawan Jennings to be dismissed to begin with. So yes. I an think indefinite suspension would have made yeah. a whole lot more sense to me. So I think the fan base, I don't think anyone, I mean, I'm sure opposing fan bases might roll their eyes if he's invited back and just, Oh, here's a coach doing what he has to do to help, help a struggling program, turn things around quickly. But I, I think Tennessee fans would, would completely embrace Jawan Jennings return. So it's a it's a it's an easy move to make if that's what Jeremy Pruitt and Philip Fulmer decide needs to be done in this case because the fan base is completely behind it if it, if that's what it, they decide to do. The question I have is is the team behind it. Yep, yep. Um, and that's certainly got to be another yep. layer to this this situation. I know a lot of people are are, say, are suggesting that this meeting with Pruitt's just a formality or it's just the final hurdle and uh, things like that, but I don't. I don't think it's that cut and dry. I think there's a lot of layers to this. If you're Pruitt and if you're Tennessee, you're going to put on. You're, you're going to put some some parameters uh, on on Jennings. If you do reinstate him, he's going to have to be a choir boy. That's not something that Jawan Jennings has shown that he could do in his three years at Tennessee. So um, that's going to have to be something that that's going to there's going to have to be a set of agreeable terms. Uh, mm-hmm. The situation and and if you're Pruitt, I think you have to let your team have a have a say in this because this is a guy that in Jennings that got hurt. Early in the year, we we talked to some players uh, the week after the Georgia Tech game. I remember Marquez Callaway saying he's gonna be, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be like he's never gone. He's gonna be here. He's gonna be coaching us. And Jennings was never there. He was MIA the whole season. He didn't go to any games until the LSU game. He wasn't even in the stadium for a lot of games. Uh, and so this is a, a situation where this this guy basically abandoned his team and then came back late in the year and 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 tried to pull some shenanigans, maybe trying to play quarterback or whatever happened that that set him off. Uh, I guess that was was a Wednesday afternoon right before Thanksgiving that all that happened. But mm-hmm. um, if, if you're a player and you saw how this guy treated you last year, then then you, you, I, I would like it. I would like to have a say at whether or not I want this guy back. And it went, you know, Jawan is a popular player, and a lot of you know some players were unhappy with the decision that was made and how it was made when it was made back in November. But um, that that's another layer to me that that makes this not as cut and dry as some people. Uh, want to make it out to be but certainly the fact that that Pruitt is open to meeting with him and has spoken with him and has reached out to him uh, I think that has to be taken as a positive you know just sitting here a couple hours after it happened here's where I am on this 
Jawan, and I'll, I'll probably write a column about this too at some point, but uh, the the short version that's of what, it. That's what we call a, a plug or a, a tease. A tease. It's a tease. Come see the words on paper and not just listen to them. Not paper. Unless you print it out. Unless you print it out, which is Some just, people might. Which is just kind of weird. But if you do that. But the thing is, this guy was dismissed by an athletic director who is no longer at Tennessee. Uh, an, an, an interim head football coach that is no longer at Tennessee and uh, with assistance from a position coach who is no longer at Tennessee. The one constant, the one thing that's the same is the teammates. So I have, there's two things I do here. One, I look at it and I say everything that happened in the past, I want to talk to the people it affected and what do they feel about giving him another chance? I'm pretty sure that the team will want Jawan Jennings back. I don't know that for certain, but they know what kind of competitor he is. And I think if you make Jawan Jennings come back, and I don't know that he'll ever be a choir boy, and I don't think it would be good for his game if he became a choir boy. I think him being kind of, I don't want to say reckless, but being the way that he is kind of makes him the player he is too. I don't know if you can separate those two things. I mean, when you got when you say someone's got some dog in them, you're going to have to deal with a little bit of stuff that you don't like. But when he's on the field, you're going to love that dog being part of your team. So that, I think the teammates would be okay with it. But that's the one thing I would look at and I would say, listen, if I'm Pruitt and Fulmer, I say, you know what? What's the worst thing that's going to happen here? You bring him back and he gets in trouble and then you get rid of him. And you say, well, he got another chance. You give, it, you kid, you give another kid a chance, hey, I got no problem with that if the team is okay with it. So if I'm Pruitt and Fulmer, that's the one thing I want to know. I want to look Jawan Jennings in the eye, and I want to see if he's seriously contrite or if he's really ready to turn the page and be a part of the thing moving forward and what he would do to make that happen, what he would do differently. And if all that goes well, then I go straight to the team, especially the upperclassmen, the leaders on the team, and the wide receivers who would be playing the same position as him, most likely, and I would say, what do y'all think? And if they're okay with it, guys, I got no problem with him coming back. I think he should have been suspended indefinitely rather than dismissed to begin with. I think what he did was uncalled for. But knowing what I know about some of the people he was complaining about, I don't entirely blame him. I'm just going to be honest. I said that at the time. I'll say it now. You can be uh, an a-hole and not be wrong. The, the, those can be two completely different they, – they don't have to be. They can be mutually exclusive. They can be. You know, you, you can say, well, okay, you went too far, but were you wrong? And that's – Well, I, I, in this case, I don't even know if it matters whether you think he was wrong or whatever to say. what. It, I just think it's a matter of can he can – I think, I think what happened – if any promises were made to him that were not kept or if anything, I think that absolutely does matter. Now, I don't know that it's a, 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 the biggest thing, but I think you say to him, why did you do what you did there? Yeah. Like, regardless of, of what you said, why did you say it? You gotta, what, what happened to you? you got to figure out where he is yes. mentally. you got to figure out whether, you know, how devoted he is to being the kind of player and the kind of, the kind of citizen and student he needs to be going forward, too. There's a lot that goes into it, and as we've said, you know, he, he's got to be on a, a short leash if he comes back. Uh, not to, as Patrick said, continue the, uh, the, the dog analogy, but <laughs> I, I do think that's something you got to take into consideration and know that he's, there's some baggage there. He's got to be He's got to kind of walk the straight and narrow a little bit more than he's done in the past, and you've got to ask him the tough questions. Can you really do that? Can you actually commit yourself to being the kind of player but, but we want you to But be? don't change who you are, because I think if you completely change who you are, well, yeah. I think you take away that chip that he has on his shoulder on the field. Oh, I don't, Yeah, I don't think you take that away, but I think you've still got to have someone who's a little bit more accountable to his teammates and to the entire yes. program. Just behave yourself more accordingly when you're not in this building. And you know what? I think if he, if if you can establish a good relationship with Jeremy Pruitt, I think having respect for the head coach takes care of a lot of that because I frankly don't think you had that a lot before. And I think Pruitt will talk real to him in a way that others did not in the past, and I do think a guy like Jawan will respect that. Just you like know? just like Justin Martin, I think having a fresh start with Charlton yeah. Warren last year did wonders for him. I think a fresh start with Jeremy Pruitt could do wonders for Jawan Jennings. You know, it's like uh, it's like in in Moneyball that scene where 
uh, where he walks up to David Justice when he's in the batting cage, and it's they, they detail this something like this in the book too, when he's like, "Listen, man, just just shoot me straight here. Just what what's going on? And if you talk to a player with a big ego, but you talk to him like that, players respect that. Players respect someone who will go at them and tell them the truth, even if they don't want to hear it. And I think that is that's huge. And I think that I just, frankly, guys, I don't see much to lose here. I might be completely missing the mark on this, and maybe some people go, well, he did too much, and you can't. He abandoned his teammates. Okay, I think it's up to his teammates to decide whether he abandoned them or not. Mm. I think I would go to the teammates and say, do you feel like Jawan abandoned y'all, or did you understand well, why yeah. he was going through well, what he was doing? Well, because there was talk of him storming off the practice field the week of the Vanderbilt game and stuff like that. You know, it wasn't ju- it just not and, being around the team. Sure. You know, some of that stuff probably was a little bit of yeah stuff that was being fed by right. the former could have been Yeah, could have been spent. Uh, we don't know. There was so much spin there. In some case, what was true and what wasn't. But yeah, regardless, we know he wasn't on the sideline during games. We know he may not have been allowed out on the sideline for that uh, that that first game after Butch Jones uh, do, was do, gone. Do y'all remember the explanation that, that Butch gave about why he wasn't on the sidelines? Uh, it was it was Brady. He Hoke. was too competitive. It was, he was too no, no, competitive. It, was, it was Butch. Oh, like, oh yeah, yeah. He was. For, it's too competitive. It eat, it eats him up too much for him to be on the sideline. Yeah. He, he he he'd go out there and play if he could. Yeah, and you know that's. I just I, I think it's that was pretty good by the way. That, I, that I really don't was. think it's right for people to say that he abandoned his teammates without asking his teammates and getting actual feedback from them on do you legitimately feel like he abandoned you because you know if he didn't it's like well there's no crime if there's no victim and so that to me is something that I would I would want to talk to the players about and I think there's some guys on that team who would be honest Um, even without you know guys like Kelly and Galden there you can go to some guys and they will you can ask them a question and they'll give you an honest answer about it and I think you can trust some of those guys so I, I don't have a problem with it if the team doesn't have a problem with it. Now, if the team doesn't want him back, totally fine. That's, that I, is what it is. I think you just go to his peers in Tennessee's linebacker room and make sure they're okay yeah. with it. Make sure everybody make sure everybody on the, More the spin. defensive side of the ball. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of spin that we uh, dealt with with the previous staff. Thank, thankfully, uh, most of that now is gone, can move on. And uh, with the new staff, I don't know that we'll have to worry about this. Maybe we will. We'll, we'll wait and see in time. We, don't, we never really know these things until they happen, but – uh, guys, it, I, I like a lot of the things about this staff that, that Jeremy Pruitt's bringing in. You know, he's not been able to – Tennessee's not officially confirmed any of them, but Pruitt went out and mentioned a lot of their names. So we can consider that basically a done deal now. What do and, we think And we've about? reported a lot of these as yeah. well. Yeah, none of them were a surprise. It, it gave away all the titles, which we pretty much had reported. The only thing that was really a, um, maybe a surprise still was that Brian Niedermeyer's role remains undefined. Uh, he could be it, – it still looks like all signs are pointing to him being the tight ends coach. Uh, because I think Tennessee's preference would be to bring in a wide receivers coach with yeah. this last hire. Uh, those are the two positions still kind of vacant wide receivers and tight ends. Um, Pruitt kind of just hinted at near Myers versatility by saying he also could coach on the defensive side of the ball, but there's nothing unclaimed. Yeah. He's a big, you can tell he's a big believer in that guy for yeah. sure. And that's, and that's okay. I mean, he, he knows that as, as we talked about uh, on our Facebook live Wednesday afternoon, Pruitt has a similar background in a way to near Meyer. Uh, you know, he's got that, he's got a little bit of on-field coaching uh in his background he, yep. he's been an assistant director of player personnel Pruitt was the director of player development I believe at Alabama before he was an assistant coach so I think he knows his knows his ability knows what he has in Niedermeyer and feels confident in whatever role he puts him in but everything else was pretty much known Tyson Helton is the OC and quarterbacks coach um Gillespie running backs coach uh Will Friend offensive line coach the D coordinator Kevin Scherer he didn't specify, I don't think, but I believe he'll be coaching inside linebackers yes, since he that's didn't. what we've reported. Yes. Um, uh, Chris Rumpf will be the uh, outside linebackers coach and co-defensive coordinator, even so, though so they Kevin have share as the defensive coordinator. So usually when you have one co-defensive coordinator, you have two co-defensive coordinators. But in Tennessee's case, they're going to have yeah. a defensive coordinator and then a co-defensive coordinator. How can you be co if there's another, not another co? It's all co? about titles and money and yeah, all that sure, stuff. Yeah, sure. It's a way to give him a bump in title, I would say, from what he was and, at Florida, which and, is okay. And... What's interesting about Gillespie is that I don't think I don't think Pruitt actually came out and said he's coaching running backs. Right now, in Pruitt's or in Gillespie's Twitter bio, he has himself listed as the associate head coach, which would be a bump from what he got last year. Mm-hmm. He was assistant head coach last year, right? Has <coughs> uh, associate head coach for the offense, running backs coach, and recruiting coordinator, which mm-hmm. he's been for a couple of years now. Yep. Um, so, uh, and then also Tracy Rocker, defensive line coach; Terry Fair, cornerbacks coach; and Charles Kelly, the former Florida State defensive coordinator as safeties coach and special teams coordinator. So pretty much a done staff, uh, still looking for that 
that wide receivers coach most likely to fill it out. But uh, he also did mention, though, I know some people probably got worried when they heard him say this, but Jeremy Pruitt also mentioned during the press conference that still going to be working on the staff, he thinks, well into February. And I think he's talking more about support staff roles, if I had to guess. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I've heard in the recruiting department that he wants to change up. And that makes sense because you're going to have your own way of doing things, you know, the way that – the way that you present things on visits, the, the, the people you've got contacting people, even, well, the, you know, even, even the, the people who are just kind of helping coordinate the visits while they're on campus and stuff. I think there's a lot of things that he saw that the previous staff did. And he kind of was like, no, nah, I, I don't like that at all. So I think there's going to be things that he's going to change around. And honestly, he's been spending, he spent what the past decade at three of the biggest recruiting powerhouses in college football. So th- those are name brands that, re- that, that sort of recruit themselves to a certain extent, but the way that they they're competing against each other, so they're having to 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 pull out all the stops. And I think he's seen some things from where he's been, and he wants to change it up. And, well, and, not, not and, only that, but G, you got GAs and quality control assistants that are left over from Butch Jones' staff. You still know if they're going to be retained, so he might hire new guys there. So there's still a lot to be decided there. And, and we know some of those off the field support staff hires. We know that I think uh, is it Todd Watson. Yeah, his ops. Yeah. We'll be at, well. They haven't specified his well, title. I don't he was think, ops but, at Troy. Yeah. Drew Hughes is a guy that was working and recruiting at Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tino Sinceri, Sal Sinceri's son, will be one of those quality control. Assistants. Will be one of those quality control assistants. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll have to see what they do with guys like Steve Stripling, guys like mm-hmm. Bob Helton. And uh, I want to go back to Niedermeyer real quick because he's had it listed in his Twitter that he's going to be an assistant coach, but none of us thought when he came on board that he that he was going to be. One full time assistant, and, yeah. it, and and it, we think he's going to be the tight ends coach because that's what he played uh, at Arkansas Pine Bluff. But um, recruits I, are saying it too, though. It, yeah, and, and it, it seems like he sort of earned his way on the staff because he came on board. They didn't have a full staff, so he was going on the road out to see some guys on the West Coast, uh, and that seems to be kind of where he maybe took advantage of the opportunity. He got to be sort of the the de facto tenth assistant. Now he's going to be the, not going to be the tenth assistant added to the staff in terms of chronological order, but you're looking at a situation where he, he if the NCAA hadn't passed this rule, he's probably not a full-time coach. Now, they probably would have made him quality control or something like that, but uh, now the fact that he's, it looks like he's going to be a, a full-time assistant is is maybe a credit to, to what he showed back in December when he was helping the staff recruit and, and do what they did in the early signing period. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to like about what he's done with that staff and you know, again, there's always these whole feel-good vibes when a new staff comes in town, and then there were people who who liked a lot of the the first guys on on Butch Jones' staff, and it, it turned out that some of those were were not the the best hires that could have been made. So we'll wait and see how how well it turns out. But this is uh, on paper a very very good staff, and, and a staff that knows this league, a staff that knows high school coaches all over this region. Uh, guys who have been recruiting in, in the most fertile areas of the country for a long time, guys who have a lot of relationships, guys who can relate to high school coaches because they themselves were high school coaches not that long ago. So uh, if you're a high school coach, someone like Jeremy Pruitt is someone that you look up to a lot because you look at – he was the defensive coordinator at, at a couple Alabama high schools you know, about a decade ago, and look where he is now. So – that's a guy who uh, all high school coaches can look up to and be like, man, I'm, I like this guy. I'm going to see what this guy's doing because look, look what he's done with his career. So I think a lot of that makes sense, personally. And you touched on one of the things that I think is, is best about this staff. I, I think it can be overblown sometimes, but it really matters, I, I think, especially at a place like Tennessee, SEC experience all over this staff. And, and not just yeah. that, but guys who have recruited at a high level in the SEC – that really matters. Uh, it matters in game planning and stuff too, but it, it definitely matters in recruiting because these guys know, a lot of the, these guys on the staff know what they have to do in recruiting to get Tennessee where it needs to be. They've seen what good looks like at different stops. You know, Chris Rump has been at Florida. Uh, he's been at some other good programs, Texas, and he, he knows what you have to do. All these guys that have worked with him at Alabama at some point or another, they've obviously seen what, what a good SEC program really looks like. They know how to win recruiting battles. I don't think you have that as much when Butch Jones brought in all those guys from from Cincinnati and other places. They didn't have as much of that on the staff. So I think it's a big deal. And I think in some ways it's the best, it's the most well-rounded staff in terms of SEC experience and other things that you've probably seen since Philip Fulmer in some ways because Lane Kiffin's staff even had a lot of guys from outside the SEC. Well, one thing, and to kind of piggyback off that, one thing that's different about this group when they've come in and Everybody here has been through different coaching changes and covered them, you know, being around this beat so much. But this staff has come in not only with the early signing period and trying to scrape 
together a pretty solid class. It's it's really important in my opinion. You got a lot of guys you got to replace, but but they're not just going after just Joe Blow, Dodge City Community College wide receiver. Let me get in here and build some depth. They're going after legit dudes. <laughs> Isaac Taylor Stewart, Coinus Miller, uh, some of these cats. JJ Peterson, you know, the guy they got. JJ Peterson, a double digit number of high school All Americans. So they're they're reaching extremely high. Uh, Dominic Wood Anderson, the number one junior college tight end in the country, and they got that kid. You know, in less than two weeks of getting known, a big tip of the cap to Coach Niedermeyer, obviously, but uh, and you can see why he's on this staff already, but. Um, but that that's a change that we haven't seen a whole lot with Derek Dooley's staff, with, with Butch Jones' staff. Yeah, they went out and got some guys later. I know Derek Rogers was one. Justin Hunter was another. Josh Dobbs. But as a whole for this staff to come in and go, no, nope, we're not just filling this out with a bunch of bodies and whatnot. We're going after legit dudes. I think that that speaks to what Ryan was saying about SEC experienced guys and knowing what you have to have to build this thing and win it right. You don't want to just sign a bunch of dudes and then have to run them off after a year or two. Well, and I think that's, that also bodes well for the long term, too, because Jeremy Pruitt, I think, is a guy who's going to be willing to make some tough decisions. I think one of the biggest mistakes Butch Jones made was holding on to some guys on his staff that probably needed to be changed out after a couple of years, and he, he didn't make those moves very quickly. But Jeremy Pruitt, even because it's not just the initial round of hires, obviously. Some of these guys could get new jobs next year. You know, you never know what might happen. It's all about knowing what you need in a staff period. And I think just based on these initial hires, you know, some might work out. A lot of them probably will, but some might not. When you get to that point and have to make more hires, this bodes well for knowing that this is a head coach that knows what he needs on his staff one way or another, even if these first guys in some cases don't work out. Yeah, and I think and I think I may have made this point on a previous podcast, but when you hire a sitting head coach, a lot of times they're going to want to bring uh, – if you hire a guy from a, a smaller job – at a place like Tennessee, they're going to want to bring the guys with them that got them this opportunity. And Scott Frost to Nebraska. Yeah, like Scott Frost took his entire staff. <laughs> we'll see about that one. <laughs> we'll see about that. I mean, that, that would be, that would be you know, that's really, I think, unprecedented. And obviously, Butch Jones brought some guys from, from Cincinnati as well. And, and to be frank, a couple of those guys, uh, I think Tennessee missed them when they left. When you look at, like, Mike Bajakian, uh, I think Mark Elder, I think those guys uh, – it wasn't that they left that hurt Tennessee. It was what, what Butch Jones did with their with their vacancies that I think maybe uh, make turn. It turns out they were missed for that reason. So with Pruitt though, he he's got to pull a staff from 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 his sort of network of people that he knows, and so that's why he goes out and gets Shear. Uh, he worked with Rocker. He worked with uh, Friend. He knew Helton from a recruiting visit. He was telling the story on on Wednesday about that. So. He had to go and, and go to a lot of different different places to get those guys, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he does with that last uh, that last spot on the staff. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of ways he could go with that. There's a couple of names that that we've thrown out there that have been in contention with this before. There's a uh, you know there there was you know Dawson at Florida State was a guy who was seemed to be in play for a little bit there. There was the the, the junior college uh, head coach up there at Asa College in New York City. That was Joe Osavet. He he's been in play for this position now there's another name that we've reported on Wednesday uh, afternoon now again we're we're recording this late Wednesday afternoon early Wednesday evening and it's going to run Thursday morning so the entire thing could change before we drop this podcast but Patrick you you just completed this story recently about the the new guy they're looking at yeah David Johnson at at the wide receivers coach at Memphis who's been there the past two years spent the previous uh, four seasons at Tulane he's New Orleans, Louisiana guy, like to his core. He's coached multiple high schools down there. Coach Tyron Matthew at St. Augustine down in New Orleans, the Honey Badger. Uh, and uh, he's done a really nice job at Memphis with Anthony Miller, who's the guy that went from a walk-on. Nobody recruited him. Now he's going to be a uh, – he got my he got my vote for the Bolitnikoff Award this year. Uh, I think he had 18 touchdown passes. Danny's pointing at me for some reason. Anyways, uh, and no, – I'm and, just saying he was a heck of a receiver. Yeah, and, and Johnson is a guy that, that other programs have come at. Uh, LSU tried to hire him last year, and he turned that down. That's a that's a Louisiana guy turning down LSU, which always makes you wonder what's up there. Uh, and, there and we've been told another SEC program is, is interested in Johnson this cycle as well, in, in addition to Tennessee. So uh, that I think that would be a pretty good hire if, if, if Pruitt's able to pull it off. Um, he's, Johnson is bald, so he's got that going for him. I know t- Tennessee fans have liked to, to joke about how uh, this coaching staff doesn't have much hair. 
but you know, yeah, the, the, there's not. Just, they're going to be <laughs> this. This staff has cost a lot of money in a lot of ways, but they're going to save a lot on the shampoo. <laughs> they're gonna. They're just gonna. Need, they're just gonna need like body wash or soap. That's all most hey, of these guys need. Butch Jones's first staff looked a lot like that too. Let's not forget Jancic, Bajakian, all those guys looked kind of similar. Yeah, Martinez. Yeah, Martinez. And, and one other thing on Johnson is um, he he coached down at Tulane. He coached Orland Starqua. Mm-hmm. Who is Nashville he a Nashville guy? He's he a Nashville went kid. To, right? Went to Ensworth. Yep. So you know, I, I don't know if he recruited him there. I don't know if he did or not. But uh, again, a guy that could give you some connections in Louisiana. If that's an area you want to hit in recruiting hard, Tennessee's hit it a little harder recently. I know. Yeah. Uh, last class they added guys like Labruzza and Bailey. Uh, I know Jordan Murphy's from Hattiesburg, but that's not that far from mm-hmm. that neck of the woods. He's, Rob, he's got some ties in Louisiana in Mississippi also yeah, that would help. Yeah, he coached at uh, Millsaps was the other one. That that was his first collegiate stop was at, at Millsaps, which is in Jackson. So uh, that's obviously an area that Robert Gillespie knows pretty well of being from Hattiesburg and, mm-hmm. and has, has hit pretty hard in recruiting in the past. So uh, that could be another chance to bolster your uh, your reach in that neck of the woods uh, if, another, if, you're able, if you're able to land him. Another reason you might want to bolster your reach, too, is one of Tennessee's biggest assets in the New Orleans area was J.J. McCleskey, the former Tennessee star who was a trainer in the New Orleans yeah. area. Now he's on Tulane's coaching staff, so you don't have that. He's not going to funnel guys to Tennessee, obviously, working for Tulane. So I think that you might want to have another guy with some connections there, and that's that's something worth at least worth noting. Labruza was trained by McCleskey. Another guy Tennessee's recruiting, Eddie Smith, also was yeah. trained by McCleskey before he took that job. So having more ties in Louisiana definitely worth worth having on staff because that is a, a place where LSU is going to get its pick of most guys down there. But there's still some good players down there you can get. And Johnson coached uh, in in terms of some flexibility, which is why I think Pruitt was saying, you know, not everything's been set yet. Is that that. Johnson coached running backs and tight ends at Tulane. So he's just only been a receivers coach uh, since he got at Memphis for the last couple of years. So, you know, yeah, so we, there's some flexibility there in terms of what you could do positionally with some guys. Uh, before I don't want to get sidetracked here, but uh, Tulane's been mentioned a few times now, and that means that I'm going to have to tell my favorite Tulane story real quick from when I was working at Chattanooga uh, down at the Times Free Press. And this was before I took the Tennessee Hashtag TFP for life. TFP for life! Before I moved back up to Knoxville to, to cover – uh, Tennessee for the Times Free Press. I, I was kind of a general assignment guy. I covered the Braves and some outdoors, just all kinds of random stuff uh, there for a couple of years. And we're every- gonna read some Wes Rucker hunting stories one day. Oh my God, the hunting and fishing stories. Hey, what's biting this week? Like, yeah, I can I can fish. I can't hunt for anything. But the uh, the there was a kid. Every year we do like the best of preps team. We would do that, and so the kids would have to fill out these sort of. You know, I don't want to call them applications, but just sort of an, an information sheet on sort of their height, weight, size, stats, and, you know, who's recruiting them, who's offered them. And when this kid was talking about who was recruiting him, he wrote down uh, Tulane, but he wrote T-W-O-L-A-N-E. And that became a joke for no less than like five years in the Times Free Press Sports Department. Mm-hmm. It was like... He's good, but is he two lane good or is he like four lane good? Like how how many lanes is he just he's just a one lane guy, right? Or is he I don't know, this guy that became like the the step, you know, you have like a one star through like a five star. We we went like on the lane system and it was like, uh, he's he's pretty decent. He might be too, he might be two lane good. Or if he has a big year, he could be three lane good. You just also, made that whole story up. Nope, that's a hundred percent true story. It happened. I was there, and I will never forget. And every time I hear Tulane now, I think <laughs> Tulane. And let's and, and cool and story, if, Wes. Yeah, and if you spell Tulane, that's that, funny, you jerks. If you spell Tulane that way, you're also not going to make it far at Tulane, which is a very good academic school. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's a very good school. But before we get out of here, guys, I, I do think we need to mention uh, we drop some recruiting news occasionally from time to time on this podcast. A lot of that, again. Uh, you're going to have to pay for a lot of our best recruiting information. And if you don't like that, sorry, but we got to keep the lights on. Uh, I, I live in a really old house here. And uh, let me tell you, when it gets really cold, the the uh, the, the uh, utilities bills, not so fun. Not so fun on a really old house. Uh, it's pretty expensive. So you're going to have to pay for a lot of the recruiting coverage that we give you. But uh, I loved Jeremy Pruitt's answer when he was asked on Wednesday, what do you still need to go get? You've brought in 14 guys right now which guys do you need to go add to this class? 
going forward uh, into into the National Signing Day in February. And, and he said, well, I don't really want to tell you that, which was a great answer because, you know, they don't want people to know what their board looks like. Totally it fair. Makes, well, makes total sense. Well, and if, and if you're another school and you know that, you know, defensive line's a priority or not a priority, you know, you can you can use that against the school if you yep. know that, hey, they're not taking any more players at exposition they're focusing on this so yeah that's the kind of thing you don't want to really reveal much about this time of year and, and if you're Pruitt you just take the game tape from the two championship games and say you're going to be this guy you're going to be the next drawn pain you're going to be our Minka Fitzpatrick well especially at corner where yeah uh, they may have to have Danny play corner this year. <laughs> well the real answer is Tennessee needs Danny, can you play corner I'm going to backpedal out of Wes's house, and we'll just see how it goes. If I don't <laughs> rupture a spleen or tear a kneecap we, off. Those stairs, go. those stairs going down to, to the street level, the other day I almost busted it completely when it was, I, during the ice storm. <laughs> if you were to tie, it was bad. If you were to tie a small bucket of boneless wings to your bumper and just took off down the road, we'd probably get a good measure of my 40 time. <laughs> so he could he liked, the man, the man the likes chicken. He likes chicken. He likes a lot of lean protein. Oh, I love chicken. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. I love chicken. I'm single, but I'm not really single because chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I haven't seen Danny flip his hips in a while, so I'm not sure he can play corner. But, um, but yeah, the, the, re- the real answer, the real answer to that question, though, is Tennessee needs everything. Um, they, you don't get to four and eight and winless in the SEC by just bad luck. This roster needs work everywhere. Um, that doesn't mean it's hopeless or anything, but they have a lot of work to do. Uh, they're still looking at just about every position. Quarterback, they're probably done. I think they're good with just JT Shrout in this class, although they once had two quarterback uh, commitments in Michael Penix and Adrian Martinez, the former staff. What's Dormandy doing? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that, Dormandy. What's that's a door, whole separate podcast. Honestly, that's a that's a whole different podcast for another day. I think. Um, Dormandy. So they've probably done it. Quarterback. We thought Storm they, of the beaches. He we, needs to transfer to Vandy. Be like Dormandy for Vandy. We, <laughs> we thought they were maybe done at tight end, but even that may not be the case uh, because Glenn Beal, a three-star tight end from Louisiana, is still very much in play. Although he's a guy who's big enough, he could be an offensive lineman down the road. He could be a defensive lineman. He, he could do a lot of different things, but he wants to play tight end, and that's where Tennessee's recruiting him. Um, they still need – I think the two main positions you focus on, cornerback, as we discussed, aside from Danny, even with him, you need a lot of help there. I think probably ideally if you're Tennessee, I think you'd sign three corners, which they once had in this class. I think at least two you got to have. I'd sign as many as you could possibly fit. Yeah, and then – and that's – I mean, and again, but at some point you get to the point where you're just taking the best yeah, available player regardless of position because that's all you can get at this stage when you've yeah. only been here for two months. Well, and, I, and, and then that may be where, you know, if, if you were Tennessee and you were in a position, I don't think this will happen, but if you could get Isaac Taylor Stewart, Elijah Griffin, and Eddie Smith at cornerback, you do it because who cares what else you ha- – you have in other positions those three are all good corners and you need corners badly so yeah i think you do take a best player available approach at a certain point but the main two positions i think they've got to hit hard with multiple guys probably are cornerback and the defensive line i think you'll still see them take a couple more defensive linemen ideally as long as they can can get some guys they like they're still handing out offers there so i think they're still searching so those are the main two and then offensive line too i think they've got to have at least one more there and there's maybe a scenario where they could take two more so those are the the main positions and and he 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 didn't give away needs, but he did answer a question about the line of scrimmage, and, and I think his answer to that kind of kind of indicated he's they've got to be good at the line of scrimmage, and they, they've got to hit that pretty hard here down the stretch. I still think corners, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know you got to have a starter. At that I mean, position you, in this you, class. you win and lose games in the trenches. I get it totally, but if Tennessee doesn't go find some corners, uh, Tennessee is going to be. Uh, up, up, uh, Crap Creek with a turd for a paddle. Well, you, like they're not going to be in in a good position there. I think you can pencil Sean Shamberger into a starting spot, and aside from that, you don't really have two starters. You don't have a nickel, and you don't have a yeah, second you do. corner. Tyler Bear. Yeah, I mean that they've got some options. Don't get me wrong; they've got the other options. Balen Buchanan could play nickel, I think, and do solid there. Um, Mark Will, might be a safety, but I don't know. He might be. Mark Mark Will Osborne still a, a good option. Uh, it's somewhere that that could surprise some people we this got, year. So. We got, we got to see if if uh, Labruzza can get healthy. Yeah, get his can, knee straightened out. And where does Labruzza fit in? The former yeah. staff had moved him to safety. Does he play was, nickel? Does he play that, corner? Was that a necessity move or was that a, yeah. a long term move? Yeah, it could be a long term move. But the staff may not prioritize speed at corner as much as size. And Labruzza has good size for a corner, so that that could be something to watch this spring. So yeah, you got some options there, but nobody you feel great about besides maybe Shamberger's upside. So. And Tyler Burke. <laughs> so I think a self-proclaimed first-round pick, but not knowing, corner. yeah, not knowing how that potential move turns out, though, I think you've got to 
you get you basically have to approach it. You're obviously selling playing time to corners in this class. You have to approach it as though you're signing a, a starting cornerback in this class because of the situation you have there. And maybe two. I think that makes a lot of sense. Are there any other big needs before we get out of here that, that Tennessee in that class is just, I mean, even if they're not the most important one, they are still needs. Are there any kind of secondary level things that you think maybe could be under the radar? Well, I think a playmaking wide receiver that yeah. can step in and maybe, maybe or maybe not start as a true freshman, but uh, getting in that competition. You have one Elante Taylor, but a Jacob Copeland, somebody like that. Uh, that's that, that's got an impressive skill set, a little more physically advanced like Copeland is. And getting in the mix, I think that would be a position. Uh, and also defensive line with the Khalil McKenzie news earlier this week, that, that takes out you know a solid 300 pounds from your rotation. Coyness Miller, a guy that, that we expect to take an official visit at Tennessee. He's been committed to Auburn since mid-October. Uh, Birmingham native, Under Armour All-American. Uh, held on pretty strong to that Auburn commitment and you know, it's kind of been up and down whether or not he was going to visit Tennessee. But if that comes to fruition, and, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say I like Tennessee's chances. It's hard to go into Birmingham and beat Auburn. Uh, but at the same time, he's a guy that I think could probably get into the rotation immediately. He's a he's a big boy. You don't look at him and go, ah, oh, he's 17, 18. He may need a red shirt. Nope. He, was, he likes chicken, he's got that, he's got this. <laughs> He also likes chicken. <laughs> he was really good in the Under Armour All-America game. And, and yeah. Connus Miller did say at that at that game that week, uh, he, he made it clear he waited to sign until February. Does he have a nickname, by the way, that we can? so I don't have to try to pronounce his first name? Yeah. How do you pronounce his first name? Connus is how everyone in yeah, Alabama is. I don't know if I'm ever yeah. going to say it's that. It's spelled coinus. We need to find another nickname. But it's uh, yeah I don't know I don't think he has one but but anyway he Ryan I think I think Danny could beat you up and we'll, can we call him, I, we'll I'm call him sure he could can, he, we call, can we call him Big Chicken he's got he's got <laughs> he's got a chicken wing in each hand ready to go at me but <laughs> Big Chicken be like so, no it's it's not it's not, a, it's not a, sir listen you don't understand it's not it's not disrespectful Big Chicken is a good thing yes yes um, but no I I think Miller uh, he's gonna take that visit I think because he made it clear he waited to sign and didn't sign during the early signing period with Auburn because he wanted to go out to go check out those schools that, that had offered him. So Florida, Tennessee, those two, I think definitely get visits and he's going to visit Oregon supposedly too. So I think Tennessee does have a fighting chance in that one and keep an eye on Florida too. in that one, he mentioned that Florida was a school he always liked and could have committed to if he had visited there more. Or as Butch Jones would say, flow rider. Is this uh is this Miller kid? Like he's got that Alabama thing where he like all of Alabama's players look like they're in their mid thirties. Uh, and are not in college. Like Ashawn Robertson looked like he was a 40-year-old man. I don't know if he's got he as much sophomore. of that as some Nobody guys. has that with yeah. Ashawn. When, when I saw Ashawn <laughs> at U.S. Army All-American Week, uh, ironically, David Robinson was in the bleachers with me. His son was an Army All-American at practice, and I was like, Dave, who's – Who's that? Whose uncle is that out there on yeah. the field? He's like, I don't know. I've never seen him before. It was Ashawn Robinson. It was. <laughs> if he has a son, will he name him Bishon? I'm pretty sure he was class of '94 and just snuck in. Be like, a, be like, instead, yeah, be like instead of Ashawn Robinson the second, it could be like Bishon Robinson and then C. Sean, and they could just keep going so, down the list. So you were down there, and you're like, you're like, hey, you're like, hey, D. Rob, what's going on? Like, what's up, I, Admiral? I grew up a huge what's Spurs up, Admiral? Fan, so it was neat to be with him, and then he was there for for Tory Hunter Jr. when he oh. tore his leg up and for everything, money hunter, and, uh, but. Super guy. David's one of the probably one of the supreme human beings of a superstar athlete you're ever gonna yeah. meet out of America. Seemed like it. So is Tim Duncan. That's why it's so hard to hate the Spurs. Yeah. Yeah. As see, much as I want see. to hate the Spurs. And I love Popovich. Sean Elliott. I really do. Yeah. Terry Cummings. Big fan. My dad just discovered Greg Popovich in the last few weeks and he is a huge fan. He's just seen his <laughs> between quarters Pop. interviews and stuff. I, Talk about a guy that doesn't care. Yeah. I'd vote for Greg Pop for yeah. interviews for president. I'd okay. vote oh, yeah. for Pop. I lied. Last thing before we get out of here, I lied. Uh, I said earlier we were going to talk about hoops on uh, Friday and we are going to release the Hoops podcast Friday, but I'd be really interested to hear the three of y'all who've just kind of been watching Tennessee's games and haven't, you know, not around the program every day, not covering stuff for Danny's been there with a lot of stuff and seen some, done a lot of photo work and, and video work for us there. But for, for those of y'all who haven't been around the team as much, what have been your impressions of this team and, and where things are? I want to, I want to take Grant Williams post-move clinic camp. I hope he put one, <laughs> I hope he puts one on the off season. Cause I'll go and attend. Well, watching what he did at Memorial gymnasium this week uh, as a guy that, when I lived in Alabama, I lived in a neighborhood for the first time ever. And Grant Williams come, comes across to me as that older high school kid that you wonder how he didn't make the team and just dominates everybody in the neighborhood. He's yeah. not physically gifted. He's not 6'11". He doesn't have a 38-inch vertical. But the up and unders and, you know, and the, the and ones and everything, he's he just finds athlete. a way to get it done. He's, he's a very sneaky he's a He's a squished-down version of Tim Duncan. I just, Without the bank shot. I just think they, they are, as long as they don't crap down their leg, they're SCSC season. I think they're heading for like that five, six, seven seed range. 
mm-hmm. where like anything could happen. Like they could get a bad matchup with a good twelve, yep. get bounced, and be like the first team that Seth Davis during the bracket shows like that's my upset pick right there, like he always does. Or you know they get a six eleven seven ten game which are toss ups anyway, or they could get the right two teams and end up in the Sweet Sixteen. I think. I think they could go farther than that with the right draw. Uh, I think that team is. I here's just, I, I worry about their guards. I do too. Here, here that was just what I was going to say. I feel I, more comfortable with them when Daniel's on the floor at the end of games than Bum. Me but. too. I like this team a lot uh, because they share the ball so well, and when they do and and feed the ball to Williams and the offense goes through him, they're really efficient. But they're also they also don't have that go to guy on the perimeter because Jordan Bowden hasn't shown he can do it. Well, they need they bounds a guy they need to get involved. They, like, they do like he like the second possession of the game. You need to get him at open three to get and, him going, and, and, then he, and you have to make him take it. You have to tell him if you don't shoot on this position, I'm putting you on the bench. Yeah, and unless he, he can get involved like that and be that guy, I think in I think come tournament time that hurts you. I think you I think it's hard to run an offense through an undersized post player and have a team not just double down on him and shut him down eventually and, and cost Two big-time mismatch guys, though, in, they in are. Williams and Schofield. They're big-time they mismatch are. problems. And they're those two together, that's that's the key. And Schofield's been a big part of helping Williams, I think, too. Yeah, and Jerry Baptiste for Vanderbilt's big man is about 6'10", 240, whatever he is. And uh, Grant Williams emasculated that really, really large human being. I think Grant Williams fouled out in Vanderbilt's entire front line in that game. It was, uh, And the thing about him is he's 6'7", or so, 6'6", but he's got that 6'11", wingspan. Uh, he plays sneaky above the rim and the thing about him is he gets off the floor so quickly that's what makes him so special uh, i just to me that I, was i wanted to get y'all's opinion on it because i know a lot of people are probably they've been focusing on tennessee football and now yeah they're starting to pay more, they're much bigger basketball fans when january rolls sure. around and, and for I, those people i was i went to the kentucky game and i was appalled at, at the wildcats not Cal Perry's best no like you, you talk about like going from like anthony davis and demarcus cousins and john wall PJ's a great Cat player Towns. though. PJ, PJ yeah. just got hurt, but PJ's a good player. Do you go to these chumps? It's it's a it's a drop off. Still three uh, first my, my theory is still, still, still three first round. Still three first rounders. My, in that my group. theory is Not that the if you if player. you took all of Calipari's players and put them in one class, like none of the guys on the current team would even get a sniff, like even get a scholarship. Is it Jared Vanderbilt? Is that his first name? Yeah. I want to see him play. I, PJ PJ's good. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Kentucky's got a guy named Vanderbilt. Yeah. PJ is the one PJ Washington is the one guy. Who I saw give Grant Williams a lot of problems, and if he had not gotten cramps in that game, I think it turns out different. I, I I do think first of all though this is a tournament team Tennessee is. We didn't we maybe weren't sure a week ago after they started zero two in the SEC. I think the way they've responded has shown this is definitely a tournament team. No questions. That like Patrick said, six or seven seed sounds about. Y'all want to y'all want to hear me trigger West real fast? <laughs> Go right ahead. My favorite part of college basketball is the officiating. Oh yeah, God bless him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the way they responded, you don't want to sound the, you don't want to sound the alarm too much. But if they had gone zero and three or or zero and four, even in SEC play, it, it could have been scary there. So the way they bounced back was big, I think. And this team has shown they it's a tough SEC this year, and I think they can probably win 10, 10 games in conference play. I think six seven seed might be underselling it right now. They've got a, they've got a fifteen ranking on Kim Palm right now. Yeah. And their RPI ranking is high. Some people will t- catch up to them in strength of schedule though, because they're not playing as many tough teams down the stretch after this. Strong start. That's true, but but the, but the twenty-two uh, non-conference strength of schedule yeah. factor is going to be huge. Now we'll talk about Grant, and I'll talk about all that uh, on Friday, obviously. Uh, but I wanted to get y'all's take on si- that. sixty seconds on recruiting. We haven't talked since Tennessee added JJ Peterson. We we would be remiss if we didn't mention that. Uh, He's huge, good. Huge addition, top one hundred player. Um, we still don't know the details of his injury. Uh, in true Tennessee fashion, he got hurt right after he announced uh, yeah. about an hour later oh, on, on really? covering, a, covering a kickoff. That's too bad. He committed um, to the Vols, and then God smote him. Yeah, at this point, we don't know if it's anything serious or not. Either way, it's an arm injury, it looked like, so I don't think it's going to be anything that would keep him out once he gets to Tennessee. But um, regardless, uh, big pickup for Tennessee, and Jeremy Pruitt talked in his press conference about getting guys who can play four linebacker positions in that defense, uh, which, by the way, I thought was funny because he didn't want to say he ran the 3-4 in that uh, opening again, press conference since he did and we wrote <laughs> we wrote that uh we wrote that that they were trying to get those four linebacker yeah. guys but yeah that jj peterson is a great example of that he's like 210 215 pounds right now but he could play all four of those positions really versatile really athletic and they need more of those but he's a good start and uh, that was a big pickup to get him sight unseen he's never been to tennessee's campus at this time yeah he's coming. like he's like it just felt like home to me it's like bro you ain't <laughs> even been there jeremy pruitt <laughs> felt like home to him i think but regardless huge pickup for tennessee he, it's, like, he's, it's like me looking at like a picture of like some some travel documentary in their new zealand like man it just felt like home to me he, he's he's visiting <laughs> like he ain't been there visiting tennessee this weekend we'll see if they can kind of solidify things and cause him to shut it down and not visit alabama and other places also he's bringing in quay walker another south georgia linebacker alabama 
Alabama commitment, top 100 player in the country along with Peterson. Those guys visiting together, could they end up at the same place? It looks like Walker might not end up at Alabama, so that's one to watch this weekend. Several visitors to watch, and obviously we'll have full coverage of that throughout the weekend on, on Go Balls 24-7. Shout out to Danny for asking the linebackers question. That was, that was good today, by Thank the way. You. Yeah, I'd, if they can sprinkle a little chicken on J.J.'s arm, <laughs> I think that'll probably mend it right up. He'll be 100% before he enrolls. That probably would do it. Yeah. This is is this going to be the uh the chicken big podcast. Is this going to be the big chicken episode or the 300 yards of fecal matter uh, in a pipe? I, he's still uh, it's got to be big chicken for chicken. me. Yeah. Danny Danny won this podcast over all of us 2 to nothing, I got to say with those yeah. two, but the, I still go with the 300 feet. Yeah, that 300 feet of extra minute yeah. of of uh, fecal matter in a pipe. That sounds that delicious. Was a, that was a perfect way to sum up the Butch Jones era, wasn't it? I like it. We can end on that one. Uh, actually, one more thing, Danny, any final thoughts? Nope. <laughs>